Hi, I'm Emily Paget. This is Century 21. If you're here, you want to know a little bit more about what the Zuckerberg congressional hearing was all about. This wouldn't be a media literacy podcast if I didn't cover this, and besides, I think that since Facebook is such an integral part of our lives, it's foolish for those of us who use it not to be at least a little knowledgeable on what's going on. There are a lot of memes and jokes about the hearing, but I really think it's important to actually dissect the content. But it's big and convoluted and difficult to digest, so this is going to be a multi-part series. Oh boy. Before we start, I'd like to make it clear that I'm not going to outline every single part of the testimony. The global news taping of the congressional hearing that I referenced in making this series is about five hours long, and I'm not about to detail every word said. But I will analyze the points that I think are important. I'm going to do about an hour of the hearing per episode. If it suits you, feel free to watch the whole thing on your own time. It's pretty interesting. Plus, it's always cool and weird to see someone whose product you use daily in the hot seat. Also, I'm going to point out that I'm definitely going to use data and data incorrectly and probably interchangeably. So for that, I apologize. Just try to bear with me here. This is going to be a long one. I have a lot to cover. So the first step to understand the congressional hearing is to understand why it was necessary in the first place. For the past two or so years, Mark Zuckerberg, CEO and co-founder of Facebook, has been dealing with criticisms regarding his responsibility or lack thereof of his company's role in the distribution of information. Facebook has been accused of turning a blind eye to the spread of fake news and extremist propaganda on its platform, and some claim that it assisted in or enabled Russian meddling in the more recent U.S. presidential election, as well as the 2016 decision in Britain's European Union membership referendum. But the most recent situation Zuckerberg and his company have found themselves in is the sharing of Facebook users' data with Cambridge Analytica, a London-based political consulting firm. It's important to note the huge role that Facebook plays in the lives of its over 2 billion users. For me, I use Facebook pretty much daily to see what's going on at my university, to see if there are any events in the area that I want to go to, to buy or sell stuff, and to connect with friends. On a broader scale, Facebook was used in part in the recent Me Too movement and the March for Our Lives. People do fundraisers, both for small organizations and for larger purposes like hurricane relief on Facebook. And there are apparently over 70 million small businesses across the globe that utilize the website for their services. Last week, many Facebook users found a text box when they opened up Facebook for their morning scroll. It read, quote, we have banned the app This Is Your Digital Life, which one of your friends used Facebook to log into. We did this because the app may have misused some of your Facebook information by sharing it with a company called Cambridge Analytica. In most cases, the information was limited to public profile, page likes, birthday, and current city, end quote. That app, This Is Your Digital Life, is a personality quiz accessible through Facebook. It was created in 2014 by an academic researcher named Alexander Kogan, who paid 270,000 people to take it so they could view their respective psychological profiles. I'm not exactly sure what was on the app, but in installing the app, users shared data about themselves and their friends, such as birthdays, locations, hometowns, and any posts that were made public on their Facebook pages. The app was shut down by Facebook the following year, in 2015, when Facebook found out that user information had been sold to Cambridge Analytica. In the time that the quiz was active, that sort of non-consensual data collection was technically legal under Facebook's terms of service, but Alexander Kogan was banned after Facebook learned that he had sold the information he'd gathered to Cambridge Analytica, which then shared that information with third parties, playing large roles in the digital operations of Ted Cruz's presidential campaign during the primary and Trump's presidential campaign in the general election. 
In addition, Cambridge Analytica used the, quote, research to become a key figure in the Leave campaign in Brexit. In Zuckerberg's words, Facebook spoke with Cambridge Analytica and demanded they delete the data they'd collected. Cambridge Analytica's chief data officer told Facebook that they had, but they hadn't, apparently. According to a recent estimate by Facebook, the breach affected about 87 million people. On April 10th, Mark Zuckerberg spoke to the Committee of Energy and Commerce in the U.S. House of Representatives. It was voluntary, mind you, he wasn't subpoenaed. In case you're unfamiliar with these hearings, it goes like this. There are opening remarks by the chairman of the committee, in this case, Representative Greg Walden, followed by a statement from the person testifying, and then the floor opens for questions by other representatives. The opening of this hearing was essentially the background, the stuff I talked about a few minutes ago. So the opening question was basically, what is Facebook exactly? Obviously, our immediate answer is it's a social medium, but as Representative Walden details, it's also created its own online video series with six episodes and 15 million views. It's obtained broadcasting rights for many Major League Baseball games, and it's obviously facilitated advertising, stored data, and assisted in distributing the content of major news companies and information services. In addition, Walden mentions the send money feature on Facebook Messenger, wherein users can send money via PayPal or their credit card directly directly through the Facebook Messenger service Facebook provides, much like financial institutions. So clearly, Facebook is not purely a social platform. Zuckerberg responds, I consider us to be a technology company because the primary thing that we do is have engineers who write code and build products and services for other people. He missed that Facebook does do the other things that Representative Walden mentioned. They produce video content, they build software, they facilitate the spending of money, etc. But yes, he says Facebook is a media company overall. This is because, according to Zuckerberg, the company has, quote, a responsibility for the content that people share on Facebook, end quote. Zuckerberg here is arguing that Facebook does not have a responsibility for what people watch or otherwise consume, how they spend their money, or what else they click on in using the site. Representative Walden's last question also made me think. I understand that Facebook does not sell user data per se in the traditional sense, but it's also just as true that Facebook's user data is probably the most valuable thing about Facebook. In fact, it may be the only truly valuable thing about Facebook. Why wasn't explaining what Facebook does with users' data a higher priority uh, for you as a co-founder and now as CEO? In responding, Zuckerberg makes it clear that Facebook does not sell data. They monetize it through advertising, but they don't sell it. This is really confusing, so let's take a brief break from the hearing to talk about how Facebook makes their money. Even though the majority of us don't pay to use its services, Facebook's net worth was $74 billion as of October 2017. But tomorrow, if everyone stopped using Facebook, its value would be $0. How does this make sense? Essentially, although Facebook doesn't technically sell its users or their data, the users are still effectively the product for sale. The posts and pictures and other cool things that people put on Facebook draw other people into Facebook. In turn, they put their own content up on the site and draw more people in, and etc. All this information that you're putting on the site helps Facebook learn what you'd be more likely to buy and encourage you to buy it through targeted advertising. Facebook shares users' information, although they claim they keep the data anonymous, with advertisers, which then create custom ads for Facebook users based on their own descriptions of themselves, such as sexual orientation, religion, gender, relationship status, etc. These advertisers pay Facebook to publish their ads on the site, so this is how Facebook is worth over $74 billion, by commodifying user information, but not by selling the data, by selling the advertising space. 
I probably oversimplified how all of this works, but it's confusing. I do think that we can do a better job of explaining how advertising works. There is a common misperception that keeps on being reported that for some reason we sell data. I can't be clearer on this topic. We don't sell data. That's not how advertising works. Uh, and I do think we could probably be doing a clearer job explaining that given the misperceptions that are out there. Zuckerberg also argues that while Facebook could work on better explaining what they do with user data in regards to advertising, they make it pretty clear what happens when people put content on the website. There's a control right there uh, about who you want to share it with. Do you want to share it publicly to broadcast it out to everyone? Do you want to share with your friends a specific group of people? Do you want to message it to just one, one person or a couple of people? That's the most important thing that we do. And I think that in the product, that's quite clear. Representative Frank Pallone has three questions for Zuckerberg, and because of the four-minute time limit, requires he answer in either yes or no. The first, quote, is Facebook limiting the amount or type of data Facebook itself collects or uses? End quote. Zuckerberg says yes, they do limit the data Facebook collects and uses. The second, quote, is Facebook changing any user default settings to be more privacy protective? End quote. Zuckerberg says yes, they've changed many aspects about the platform itself, so developers can't access as much information. The third, Will you commit to changing all the user default settings to minimize to the greatest extent possible the collection and user and use of users' data? Can you make that commitment? Zuckerberg can't answer this in a one-word response. Congressman, this is a complex issue that I think is, deserves more than a one-word answer. Well, again, that's disappointing to me because I think you should make that commitment. And maybe what we could do is follow up with you on this, if possible. Representative Pallone says he believes that Facebook should make the commitment to minimizing to the greatest extent possible the collection and use of users' data. I'm a little confused as well why Zuckerberg is so reluctant to respond yes that he will make that commitment. My guess is because Facebook itself needs to collect a certain amount of user data to make it the intensively user-friendly, spend-hours-at-a-time-scrolling service that it is today. But that's just my guess. He goes on to further explain it in Pallone's last question, which asks, quote, how can consumers have control over their data when Facebook doesn't have control over the data itself? End quote. You know how when you use an app like Yelp, which is an app that publishes reviews of local businesses, when you use an app like Yelp, you have the option of signing in with your Facebook account. When you opt to use your Facebook account in this way, it details what information Yelp will be getting access to, like your location, birthday, and friends list. People like this feature because it saves them the hassle of manually logging that information into Yelp, since that data from Facebook will be transferring to Yelp. That's something that Zuckerberg cites in his response, but he doesn't get to finish because the time runs out. I think had he been allowed to finish his thought, that he would have argued that in this way, with Facebook users choosing where their data goes and what companies to share it with, though Facebook as a company doesn't have control over where the data goes, the consumers do, as they're the ones making those decisions. Of course, in a situation like with Cambridge Analytica, when the data that users share is sold without their permission, those waters get muddled. So, I don't know. This answer, that Facebook users choose what they post on the website and who they share their information with and that they choose their own privacy settings, is repeated on multiple occasions to answer several questions. The next one was by Representative Bobby Rush, who compared Facebook and the data scraping to something called Cointelpro. In the 1960s, the FBI used a system called Cointelpro, which stands for Counterintelligence Program, to surveil, infiltrate, discredit, and disrupt a number of domestic political organizations. 
FBI records prove that this COINTELPRO targeted groups and individual people that the U.S. government deemed, quote, subversive, including the U.S. Communist Party, members of the Black Power Movement like Martin Luther King Jr. and the Black Panther Party, organizers of the anti-Vietnam War effort, feminist organizations, and similar groups and movements. The projects against these groups were covert and often illegal and include murdering, wrongly imprisoning, and publicly humiliating targets in order to, quote, protect national security, prevent violence, and maintain the existing social and political order, end quote. Congressman, this is an important question because I think people often ask what the difference is between surveillance and what we do, and I think that the difference is extremely clear, which is that on Facebook, you have control over your information. The content that you share, you put there. You can take it down at any time. The information that we collect, you can choose to have us not collect. You could delete any of it. And of course, you can leave Facebook if you want. I know of no surveillance organization that gives people the option to uh, delete the data that they have. Rush also raised concerns about Facebook's violation of the Civil Rights Act of 1968, in which Facebook allowed advertisers to exclude advertisements to specific racial groups. Since we learned about that, we removed the option for advertisers to exclude ethnic groups from targeting. I'm not sure what the that is that he's referencing. The fact that advertisers were doing this or the fact that Facebook were breaking the law. But either way, it's concerning to me that this was apparently an option for advertisers to toggle. Zuckerberg also received from many people a variety of questions on the censorship of conservative pages or the rejection of conservative advertisements in which Facebook labeled them, quote, unsafe for the community, end quote, or otherwise don't follow advertising policies. He responded that those were likely enforcement errors and they're being resolved. After all, while Facebook has tens of thousands of staff members who work on content review issues, there are still over 2 billion Facebook users. I'm sure there are a lot of reports and algorithm mistakes to sort through. Earlier, Zuckerberg mentioned that he agrees that Facebook and similar services should have more regulation, especially in light of the recent data scandal. Representative Fred Upton addresses this. Some would argue that uh, a more regulatory environment might ultimately stifle new platforms uh, uh, and innovators. Some might uh, describe as desperately needed competition, i.e. regulatory complexity helps protect those folks like you. It could create a harmful barrier to entry for some startups, uh, particularly ones that might want to compete with you. Essentially, he argues that more regulations could prevent growth for competitors for Facebook, since it was allowed to grow so huge, mostly thanks to a lack of regulation. In other words, a more regulatory environment could help Zuckerberg overall, and his call for more regulations could come from his own self-interest. So should we policymakers up here be more focused on the needs of startups over large incumbents? And what kind of policy uh, regulation, uh, regulatory environment would you want instead of managing maybe a Fortune 500 company if you were launching a startup to take on the big guy? Zuckerberg responds by arguing that Facebook does, in fact, already have competition. The average American uses about eight different apps to communicate and stay connected to people. So. There's a lot of competition that we feel every day, uh, and, and that, that's, that's an important force that, that, we, that we definitely feel in running the company. The internet is growing in importance around the world, in people's lives, and I think that it is inevitable that there will need to be some regulation. So my position is not that there should be no regulation, but I also think that you have to be careful about what regulation you put in place 
for a lot of the reasons that you're saying. I think a lot of times regulation, by definition, puts in place rules that a company that is larger, that has resources like ours, can easily comply with, but that might be more difficult for a smaller startup to, to, to comply with. So I think that these are all things that need to be thought through very carefully when, um, when thinking through what, what rules we want to put in place. Okay, last set of questions for this episode. Representative John Shimkus asked if there are other Cambridge Analytica's out there and what Facebook is doing now to try and find out if there are other companies improperly using Facebook's data. We're going to start by doing an investigation internally of every single app that had access to a large amount of information before we lock down the platform. If we detect any suspicious uh, activity at all, uh, we are working with third-party auditors. I imagine there will have to be a number of them because there are a lot of apps. Uh, and they will conduct the audit for us. Yeah, I think we would hope that you would bring in a third party to help yes. us clarify and have more confidence. The last question Representative Shimkus had was if Zuckerberg could clarify how tracking logged off users works and how tracking users works across different devices. If you're not aware of tracking, this is sort of spooky stuff, in my opinion. It's pretty common knowledge that our internet service providers track our movements online, and so does the government, and so does Google, because that's the search engine most of us use, and besides, Google owns everything. But Facebook tracks us too, and they've been less than transparent about it. So obviously, on the main Facebook site, there are the like and share buttons. But ever notice how those same buttons are present on the bottom of articles or other non-Facebook websites? These sites with Facebook buttons use cookies that contain your individual Facebook ID number if you're logged into Facebook in that specific web browser. So hit like or share on one of those sites and it'll tell Facebook's algorithm more about what you're into, which goes into fine-tuning the advertising we talked about a little bit ago. But even if you're not logged in or don't have a Facebook account, Facebook still assigns you an ID via these pages with the Facebook buttons and tracks that ID across the different websites the ID holder visits. Facebook shares this information with advertisers to make ads more relevant and better for respective websites. That's as much as I can understand about it. Some of that might be wrong. It's confusing. But there's also, apparently, a security measure in tracking non-Facebook users. For security, it's to make sure that people who are not signed into Facebook can't scrape people's public information. Uh, you can, even when you're not signed in, you can look up the information that people have chosen to make public on their page because they wanted to share it with everyone, so there's no reason why you should have to be logged in. But nonetheless, we don't want uh, someone to be able to go through and download every single public piece of information. Even if someone chose to make it public, that doesn't mean that it's good to allow someone to aggregate it. So even if someone isn't logged in, uh, we track certain information like how many pages they're accessing as a security measure. a lot to unpack. Here's what we've learned so far. In 2014, Alexander Kogan sold the private data of millions of Facebook users to Cambridge Analytica, which then used that information to help political campaigns. Kogan was banned from Facebook, his app was shut down, and Cambridge Analytica wrongly informed Facebook that the improperly obtained data had been destroyed. Facebook has many properties, but it's mostly a media company. Facebook does not sell user data, but rather shares it with advertisers who then pay Facebook to use the site for their ads but no selling of the data itself is involved. Facebook users theoretically dictate who they're sharing their information with via their sharing settings, but completely privatizing user data is likely impossible or improbable. Facebook isn't certain if there are any more Cambridge Analytica's out there, but they're doing an investigation of all third-party apps to make sure that this doesn't happen again. We learned that Facebook tracks you and non-Facebook users in your online activity. And lastly, we learned that there definitely should be regulations on social media companies. If you've made it this far, congratulations, but we're only one-fifth of the way there. Next time, let's start the second hour of the hearing. 
If you have any thoughts on what we've learned, I'd really love to hear them. You can email me at submit.2.21 at gmail.com or go to the website or find me on Twitter at emmypadge. Oh, also, Century 21 is now available on Apple Podcasts. That's so cool. So now you can access this podcast there or on SoundCloud. But if you want to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, totally do. Positive or negative, I don't care. Either way, they really help. This podcast is a product of Advanced Topics in Storytelling taught by Dr. Bob King at University of North Carolina School of the Arts. This episode was written and narrated by me, and I also produced it. Music is by Matt Carlson. You can find him on Instagram at Matt Carlsings. If you have suggestions for episode topics, go to century21.blogspot.com. That's spelled out C-N-T-R-Y number two, number one, dot blogspot.com, and go to submit. Thanks for listening.